Hi, welcome to the Newberry Chronicles. This is a podcast in which two readers go through each and every Newberry medal winning book, and then we talk about it. I'm Michael. And I'm Rebecca. And this time on the Newberry Chronicles, we are talking about the 2020 Newberry medal winner, uh, New Kid by Jerry Craft, a graphic novel. Not graphic in its content, but graphic in its presentation. This is a comic book, folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to talk about it. But first, before we do that, um, just a quick reminder that we have an email address. Just like most people in the 21st century, maybe even some people in the 20th century, we uh, uh, have an email address. It is newberrychronicles at gmail.com. And so you can email us and give us your feedback. Or you don't have to, but you can if you want. And uh, we'll receive it, and you'll probably get a response from us. So uh, If it's a good email. Yeah, it better be good. We may don't send, waste our time. Yeah, don't waste don't waste <laughs> our valuable time. Speaking of time, I think it bears mentioning Ugh. that we have been sitting on this episode for quite some time. We both finished this book probably two weeks ago. I, probably. But one we thing, finished it in time to where we could have released this one two up two weeks from when we did um, De- Dead in in Norbelt. But anyway, yeah, it just time ran away from us to record. Yeah, just different things kept coming up, and so now here we are. Um, hopefully, it's a Saturday, and we've released this uh, just one week late. Yeah. But I say all this to say the book's not as fresh on our minds as maybe other books have been. So yeah, we're gonna try to do this book justice. Um, it's a very, it's a good book. It's a very important book. Um, I encourage you to read it. It's a quick read. Um, it's just been a minute since we've read it. So several minutes. You want me to jump in? Uh, no, I believe I jump in first because I am talking about oh, the author. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Uh, Rebecca's trying to usurp my role as the author Go explainer ahead. of this episode. Go but anyway, uh, so as you might have heard uh, a moment ago, New Kid, the book we're talking about today, is written by a man named Jerry Craft, and uh, he grew up in New York City uh, in Washington Heights, which. Uh, Wikipedia describes as a neighborhood, but has the population of Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> so, neighborhoods work a little differently in the Big Apple. Lots of people from there, including Lynn manuel Miranda. Yeah, you may know Washington Heights from his musical, In the Heights. Great These are musical. the heights in question. I don't know, great's overstating okay, it. Go ahead. Fair We're musical. not arguing about this on this episode. <laughs> okay, um... At any rate, uh, I, I say where he's born because that's important because, uh, the book is semi-autobiographical. And uh, that's where the kid is from, too, Washington Heights. Um, But he grew up in Washington Heights and went to a very hoity-toity private school. It was like an Ivy League prep school called, I love this name. This is a great name. Ethical Culture Fieldston School. Mm, You got to say it like that, don't you? Yeah, they don't don't let you say the name of it unless you do it. um, And uh, this is a school which in 2022 cost $63,000 per year, per student to Dang. go to, which is more than our annual salary. We, we don't got to air our laundry like that. I'm not, what I'm, what I'm saying is we are not poor. No. But we are not rich enough to have gone to this school. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if this guy was technically rich enough either. This school does give quite a bit of scholarship to, um, you know, people who don't meet their income bracket. So, you know, that is the case for the kid in the, in the book. Um, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, soon enough. But anyway, he um, after he went to this school, he went to art school, 
and graduated in 1984. Um, so this man's, the, as is the case with a lot of these Newbery authors and maybe just authors in general, he has a lot of life before he becomes the Newbery Medal winning author. Um, so this dude went to art school, graduated in 1984, and worked in advertising for like a very long time, like years and years. And then he's, uh, I, I guess, got into cartooning somehow um, because he worked at Marvel for a little while. And I, I couldn't find what he actually worked on at Marvel. I was hoping it was something cool, like, I don't know, like Cap like something that I would know, mm -hmm. but I, I couldn't find it. So, uh, but he did work at Marvel for a little while. Um, and he uh, then uh, eventually in 1995, I think, um, he started his own newspaper comic, which became widely syndicated, um, called Mama's Boys. It was, I guess, not widely enough syndicated that it was in the Memphis newspaper when I was reading comics growing up, but uh, it's apparently like a fairly like well widely read comic as far as newspaper comics go. I don't, I don't believe it's still currently running, but um, at its height, it was, I think, pretty widely ran in newspapers. Um, he also. Um, while he was doing this, became the editor uh, or editorial director for the Sports Illustrated for Kids website um, and kind of made a splash making flash cartoons. Um, so all the all along, like it seems like he's been using his kind of like art school craft to do things, but not necessarily things that are as narratively driven as a graphic novel. Um, he was able to become a full-time cartoonist in uh, 2006. Um, and then... Uh, he has written several, several books. Um, New Kid, you know, is, is pretty far into his career. This man's 60 now, and so he would have been, what would that be, like 57 or something like that when this book came out, you know? So, like, this is not, like, a, a new guy. This guy is a really experienced author, and I think that that shows in the book in terms of the, the style, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, I do want to end by saying this. Uh, the Connecticut legacy lives on. Uh, this man lives in Connecticut, um, just like many of the other Newbery Medal winning authors. Um, so that enclave of Newbery Medal uh, excellence is still going strong, even in the 2020s um, in good old Connecticut, USA. At any rate, that's all I got to say about Jerry Craft. Seems like a, fair, like a very accomplished guy, um, even outside of the realm of like writing graphic novels. So good on you, Jerry Craft. Yeah. Um... You ready for me now? Are you ready? I'm ready. Go for it. I'm ready. Okay. So, as Mike already mentioned, New Kid is a graphic novel, and it is based on Kraft's experiences in a private school, but also the experience of his kids who also were sent to a school like this. Um, so, this book, the main character is Jordan. He's the New Kid, Jordan Banks. He's a 12-year-old black boy. Um, who lives in Washington Heights, and he loves art, and he really wants to go to art school, but his mom wants him to go to RAD, Riverdale Academy Day School. Um, it's one of the best schools in the state. Um, his dad is concerned because it's not very diverse. They only have a few black students there. Um, and, and not just a few black students. There are other minorities that are in the book as well that, that you also see are kind of marginalized. Um, so it's really overwhelming for him. There is a, a friend he makes that's like, all the new kids have a guide, which is basically like a peer that shows them around the school. And his guys, guide is Liam Landers. They ended up 
becoming good friends. Liam is very established in the school. Like he's, I think, the third generation that goes here. Um, he also makes friends with another black kid named Drew. Um, and one thing that happens through the book is Jordan feels like he has to choose between Drew or um, Liam. I almost said Andy, but Andy's the jock that nobody likes. Oh, so yeah. anyway, there's, there's the, one of those guys in this book. Yeah, there's that tension throughout, and not just with peers at school, but also like his friends in the neighborhood. Like you see him tr- attempting to do a lot of code switching between those groups and not really um, feeling like he's doing it very well. But he has some difficulties just adjusting to the school um, setting, like figuring out which table to sit at lunch, um, trying to like make it in his art class, which is abstract art that he doesn't really like. Um, You know, it's hard to kind of summarize this book because there is a through plot, but it is also pretty like much just telling his experience at the school. So I know I'm not doing this super thorough, but anyway... He has to pick a team sport to play, so he chooses... Which sounds psychotic to me. Like, what school makes you do that? I don't don't know that that's abnormal for... I don't know. It happened in Gilmore Girls, too. So so it must be real. (laughs) The the elite private schools must be stopped. Anyway, anyway, so he has to choose a sport. He ends up playing soccer. He hates it, but he's on a team where everybody kind of sucks, and that's just normal. Because if everyone has to play sports, then some people are just going to be bad, you know? That's true. So, anyway, he kind of finds his own there. Um, Let's see. What else do we want to talk about with this book? Let's go to the... I'll go to the moment in the lunchroom. So, there's this uh, mean kid named um, Andy who just kind of picks on everyone, um, no, you know, but he he really picks a lot on Drew, which is Jordan's friend. And a big thing that's um, frustrating him is Drew was chosen over Andy to be quarterback. So Andy has a lot of resentment against him. There is, it is implied that Andy thinks he only got that because he's black. Um, and so there's this big episode in the lunchroom where Andy pushes Drew, Drew pushes Andy back, and he starts to slip on, he slips on his apple and falls to the ground. Well, this teacher that throughout the book has called Drew the, the wrong name, has called him the name of another black kid that goes to school, really has not, was very judgmental of Jordan's artwork that she found. Um, anyway, this teacher is not with like I don't know I don't know what the word is. And it bears She's mentioning not... that like Drew in general is fairly resentful of the school yes. because he doesn't feel like that yes. he's respected as an individual at the school. Yes. And especially by this teacher. And Jordan is new and trying to find his place in that. And so he's just kind of in the middle of all of that tension. Anyway, so this teacher sees the interaction and she just assumes that Drew has instigated this, that he's the reason Andy fell and is starting to um, get him suspended. Um, Jordan musters up his courage to stand up for him, say what what really happened. Other students back him up, and that's kind of like, I don't know. If there is a climax in this book, I feel like that's kind of the climax. I don't know. Yeah, and that's also right on the heels of this teacher discussing the art with him. And so I think that, like, 
by the end of the book, growth has happened in terms of he's kind of learned how to advocate for himself and his mm-hmm. friends at a school that kind of overlooks them or marginalizes them. Right, and he is backed up by white peers that also see this interaction. Um, there's like a subplot with this one girl whose name I can't remember. It's the girl with the sock puppet. Do you remember her name? Um, yeah, what is her name? It's, uh, it's probably Alexandra. Name. Alexandra, okay. Yeah, I'm just looking on the Wikipedia page, sorry. And she is... All the kids think she's weird. She wears this sock puppet on her hand and lets the sock puppet speak for her in a lot of situations. Well, Jordan finds out through a turn of events that the reason why she has that sock puppet is because she got burned um, as a child with some, like, boiling water incident um, with her brother involved. Anyway, so she got burned and has this scar on her hand, and she's embarrassed about it, so she keeps it covered up with this sock. And he explains to her, like, I don't think that looks as bad as you think that it does, you know, so you don't have to overcompensate with this sock puppet and ends up kind of like stealthily spreading that through the school so that kids aren't as mean to her and kind of more accepting of her. So it's just a sweet moment. Um, So as the school year is coming to a close, um, I, I had mentioned his modern art class, like he doesn't love it. He he ends up really connecting with his teacher and finding the value in modern art along with the art that he already enjoys and that his teacher values the work that he does on his own time too. So his modern art um, illustration is actually picked to be the cover of the yearbook. Um, Drew, Liam, and Jordan have all become good friends at the end of the book and um, that's really how it ends. I there is I don't a know if sequel or a companion book or something like that. Called I'm one- Class Act, and it came out in 2020. Did this not come out in 2020? I thought it won. Oh, it probably it won 2019. in 2020, so it came out in 2019. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And Class Act is another graphic novel. Yeah. I don't know if Jerry Craft has a traditional novel. I think they're all... Because he's a cartoonist. Yeah, and he re- did you see that he wrote a book with his voice? I did, they yeah. Um, that... Sounds fun. I like, would be interested in reading that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, so, you want to talk about what you liked? I'm sorry yeah. I'm sorry if that was a poor summary. It's not the kind of book where there's just one thing going on. I feel like we keep talking about We say about this books, every time. <laughs> but a lot of these books either have very complicated plots or plots in which there's not a lot of central, like, through line. It's just a lot of incidents mm-hmm. that are kind of like in a network of things that happen. So, I, I don't know. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, but overall, this book is just about the tension of being marginalized in a rich white school with parents that understand that tension, but also really, like, his mom really wants him to go. Yeah, his dad, did you mention that his dad used to work yeah. in, like, the corporate world or something and, like, quit his job because he felt basically like what Jordan is feeling at school? And this book is meant to be like a visual, like his drawings of his experience. So it is very funny. It is um, intentionally so. And like there's an audio book of this. And I feel like that's, it, I'm just surprised that there is an audio book version of this. I feel like if you listen to this on audio book, you're really going to be missing yeah. The the beauty of the book. But I would guess this probably for people who like Well, if you're visually, visually impaired, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. But anyway, I love I'm I'm not one of those that's like I just can't listen to audiobook. I have to have 
Rebecca has gotten very into audiobooks. She's been tearing through the Libby app. If you you can actually read, like, physically get a copy. Yeah, that is one of the things that I like. I know both of us liked is the art style. Because you have, like, the kind of normal style, but then every once in a while the book will be broken into what Jordan's notebook looks like. Mm -hmm. And it's these kind of, like, caricatures and, like, little, like, comedic asides about, like, his teachers or different people he knows. And it's a bit more, like, of... Like a, I, I don't know, like he, he's kind of like that before he is able to speak out at the end of the book, that's kind of like how we see like his real like feelings about yeah what's going on around at the school. Uh, so I liked that. Um, I think that like there's been a lot of YA and children's books in the past few years that have specifically been trying to um, deal with, you know, what what does it mean to be, you know, a, a certain identity that's like not kind of like you know what America considers like mainstream. You know, there's like books like The Hate You Give, mm-hmm. or um, uh, you know, different books about like sexuality, like um, that aren't like you know, um, quote unquote mainstream. You know, cishet, uh stuff. And um, I think this book like very firmly falls within that like recent tradition in the sense that like there's a component of this book that's trying to be educational. Uh, or at least like validating certain experiences and letting people feel seen, and I mm-hmm. think that I think that it does a pretty good job of that. Like, I mean, I guess like you know, little asterisks in the sense of like you know, I'm I'm the white guy, you know, yeah. so I've never been the minority student at a majority white school, so I, I guess I can't say you know how accurate this is, but like I mean, this one like seems to like I don't know, it seems to be faithful to what I've heard, you know, minority folks talk about. But two, even if it's not like 100% accurate, it's rendered in a way that makes sense. And I think that makes Mm -hmm. these topics kind of accessible. Especially for kids. Yeah. And I mean, this is definitely a book. I mean, all these books are aimed at a certain audience. But I mean, this is definitely a book that I think is very squarely aimed at like middle grades. Like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, maybe mm-hmm. that that level. Um, and Jordan is the age of those kids, too. Right. And I think that um, in addition to the art style, like the, the thing that the art style does well, especially through those asides, is using the character of Jordan and his observations to kind of show what, like, I think is meant to be a more universal experience of, like, hey, I'm naming the things that, you know, students who are not white in white spaces often feel like. Um, and what they often don't recognize. Like, you're not going to pick up on these things if you're not experiencing them. Yeah. Well, and I think also someone like Jerry, or not Jerry, excuse me, uh, Jordan, gosh, uh, <laughs> Jerry Craft, writing about Jordan. Um, I think one of the things, too, is that Jordan himself is learning about these things because, like, his former school was in Washington Heights, so he was in the neighborhood um, that... He was with, and, like, there's a few scenes in which he is hanging out with people from his neighborhood, but who he no longer goes to school with because he's transferred to this private school. And um, you get to kind of see, like, what, uh, you know, how he fit into his peer groups back then um, and the kind of tension he feels now that he is um, kind of having to learn to adapt to different social expectations and behaviors um, at the private school. And so I think that, like, Jordan is learning about these things, and so we are learning about them, too. Because I think sometimes, like, in books that are 
meant to be educational on a certain level, like through their stories. There's sometimes this awkward thing that happens where like everybody knows the things that they're talking about already. And so it's kind of like, why are they talking about these things? Mm-hmm. Um, but this book, it's organic because I think that it's the journey that the main character is going through is recognizing and learning how to um, uh, kind of validate his own experiences within this world that he's like feeling a little bit out of place in. Um, I also think that like, uh, another thing I like is that the book is, the book is very sweet. And I mm-hmm. think, well, we can talk a little bit more about like some of the characters and whether they work or don't work. Cause I, I'm not sure they all work, but like there are moments with each of the characters that I think work really well. Um, I think I'm not 100% sure what to do with sock puppet girl. Um, but I think that there are a few moments with her and Jordan that are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the stuff with, um, who's his friend, his guide, what's his name again? Liam. Liam. Yeah, the stuff with Liam is very good too. Like he goes over to Liam's house a couple times and um, I think a lot of times with Liam at school, it's just kind of like generic, like, you know, kids talking. But when he goes to his house, like there's a specificity to that. That's that's cool. And I like those moments too. Mm-hmm. There's a few good moments with his parents too, who are not in the book that often, but because most of the book takes place at school, but um I think there's some good moments there too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I talked for a while. Those are the things I liked about this book. Yeah, I think I think Jerry's craft is the strongest thing hey, about yeah, this yeah. book. Yeah, Jerry Craft's got craft. <laughs> no, but really, I I have not read a lot of graphic novels, but this one is just beautiful. Like it, the illustrations are fantastic. Like it's also the colors are really vibrant. Just the way that they published it. You know, I don't know. It's just very bright, very clear and crisp. Um, and like I said, I I think that's a fun way to get, um, I almost said Jerry, to get Jordan's experience of the school. There's a lot of J names There's in this book. There's a lot book. of Js. It's like it's semi-autobiographical or something. Yeah. Actually, I guess there's so, only two Js. <laughs> Still. There's too many for me. Too many. I'm just kidding. No, um, but I I think it's it's just a very, very pretty book. Um I I also love the dynamic between the parents that you mentioned. Um, they're just funny, and I we didn't talk about Grandpa, but I because really I like, forgot about Grandpa. But I, I do like. There's a few moments with Grandpa that are good too. And Grandpa is the one that really helps Jordan realize that he doesn't have to choose between Drew or Liam. Like they, I don't remember the he uses the scene. A cute they go to a restaurant. They go to a restaurant mm-hmm. and they're trying Chinese to decide restaurant. what food to get. And mm-hmm. the Grandpa's like, "Why That's not? Right. We get both." That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no los dos. <laughs> but it's it's cute. Like I like his little interactions with Grandpa. Um, one thing that he and Liam and Drew end up doing together is they play, what is it, Call of Duty? They always, no, I, well, I think they play Call of Duty a little bit, but they're, they're usually playing 2K, like NBA 2K. It's like a basketball game. Okay. Like, it's like Madden, but basketball. Don't they play one together, though, where they're all on their headpieces? Yeah, like, I, I mean, I think... Was- is Call that not? Duty. It might be Call of Duty. There's a few different video games they play. I don't know anything in the world about video games. So just anyway, they play they play video games together on the phone, and it's cute. Not even on the phone. They're not on the phone. <laughs> They're doing like Xbox Live or something like that. I, don't I know. really know what the heck I'm talking about over here. But anyway, they're cute. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and I also I don't know if you picked up on this. I didn't pick up on it till I was relooking at the book to get ready for this. But that lame teacher that we're talking about, 
Her name is Karen. Her name is Karen. Her name no is Karen, way. yes. She is indeed so a Karen. I thought that that was just great. But um, I don't have much to add to what you have. That's what I liked. What's your critique? Uh, I mean, I think ultimately the thing, and this is kind of like a squishy, like imprecise thing, but like, I just never really completely got into the book. I never felt completely immersed. And like, my my instinct is to say, well, maybe it's because you've never experienced these things. And so it's not meaningful to you. And maybe that's true. But I think that also the book is paced kind of weird mm-hmm. and skips over things that I would have imagined were more important. And, and it's, it's like there's gaps in character development that make me make it hard for me to get into some of these characters. Like, like I said, there's a lot of good moments with these characters, but a lot of times the in-between stuff, I have difficulty with, like, how am I supposed to connect? Because this book is taking place over an entire school year, so you get, like, gaps of weeks at a time in between mm-hmm. stuff. And sometimes that doesn't matter because school is just routine and, and repetitive. But, like, other times it's like, I really wish I saw a more, more like, fully fleshed out development of how we get from this point to this point. Um, like, a great example is the ending of the book. So the book ends with him, like, kind of, like, standing up for uh, Drew. And then it, like, skips what seems like a month in the future or something. Like, the he stands up for Drew not at the end of the year. But then, because that's functionally the climax of the book, we just skip to the end of the year where he's like, all right, see you guys later. Thanks for signing my yearbook and all that. And I'm like, I really wanted to see the fallout from what he did, you know, like... And maybe we will if we read Class Act. It's maybe, maybe... But this as a standalone thing, I sometimes just felt like I don't know enough about what's happening. It's not that I don't know enough. I'm not, not enough of this is dramatized for me to be really fully emotionally invested. And so, and I don't want this to sound like pejorative, even though I guess it kind of is because I'm saying it in the things I didn't like. But this book's value mostly seems to be educational and kind of affirming real life experiences that people have had, which is valuable. But as a narrative, I felt sometimes that it just felt kind of generic in the sense that, like, it's just going through all the really typical tropes of, like, um, microaggressions and that sort of thing. And maybe it's just because I'm an adult and have read and talked to a lot of people about this. And so none of this is novel. But yeah. it definitely felt like the the book's structure was introducing different ways in which he could feel alienated rather than making him like like go through a story and i mean that's fine like there's value in in that approach but i think for me i was looking a little bit more for like something um dramatic to pull me through rather than simply the story being proxy to social issues and I, I mean, I don't know. I don't exactly know how to say that because we've had other books that are tied to social issues that we've really enjoyed. But I think that the difference is that they had characters that I felt more engaged with on besides just how they fit in thematically. I don't know. Like I think about, um, well, this isn't a great comparison, but Holes, right? Like, I mean, Holes is a socially, it's got social issues, you know, including things about race or whatever. But it's also a book in which like lots of time is spent in developing who these characters are and that intersects the social issues in ways that feel kind of, um, I don't know, just dramatically engaging as opposed to them being foregrounded as social issues. Um, on the other hand, you have like Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, in which they are foregrounded as social issues, but I found that really 
engaging as a story too. But maybe I just want to, you know, that's a fundamentally different book because it has violence and like really intense stuff in it, which is not part of this book at all, you know, and it would be out of place for that to be in this book too. Um, so I don't, I don't exactly know what I'm saying except just to say that like my heart never felt completely in it. And maybe it's just because I don't see myself in this book. Cause it, the other thing too, is if I'm purely like going for identity here, you know, I'm not a black kid from a black neighborhood, but I'm also not an extremely rich, like Ivy league bound, like kid either. So that, that world felt like out of place for me too. And so I don't need to see myself in books to feel engaged by them, but I'm wondering if there's an element of that in this book where everything about this felt like I don't recognize these environments. And so I couldn't fill in the blanks myself because I hadn't had any of these experiences. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, I felt the same thing, but I reading a little bit more about the book and the intentions behind it, I think it all makes sense. One, I think because it is a graphic novel and so much of it is told through like bubbles, you know, and through the way that, I don't know, I'm not explaining it well. There's not obviously a lot of prose in this book. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's where we miss some of, some of that like more fleshed out pieces of the story and where we miss some more of the like reflection on the experiences, which is where I tend to feel really connected to books. So I think that that's one thing is just the format. While it's its greatest strength, it just does make it a very different kind of book. You know, so I think that's one thing. Another thing is that um, I think you made a good point that we have been, you know, over the past few years, just kind of like intentionally listening listening to more black voices and like um not just our books but also like our podcasts and conversations like I've definitely been more immersed in the past few years in those things than I have ever before and so I think this book felt like grounding all of those conversations in the experience of a child and what it's like to walk through school you know experiencing these microaggressions as, as a kid, I think this book would have been really eye-opening to me and made me think about things that I hadn't before. But as an adult, it kind of felt like I'm reading about all the tropey microaggressions that white people do to people, you know, not recognizing it. And that doesn't make it a weak book. It just felt like these are things that I know happen and let's fit all of them into this book that we can. Which, Jerry Craft actually said that um, near the end of this book, oh gosh, where's his quote? I want to read it. Sorry, had the wrong tab open. He said um, he wanted to put as much into this book as he could, and he was unsure if he'd get a similar opportunity in the future. And he said by the end, it was like overpacking a suitcase. I had to kind of sit on it to zip it up because I was trying to put so much in for so many different people. That definitely makes sense with what this book is like. Yeah. And another thing that he says that I think is so important is that um, he really wanted this book to be funny. Like, he wanted to have a lot of humor in it. And he said, I think that as a people, we've gotten, speaking of him as a as a black man, I think that as a people, we've gotten so complacent in misery that we almost expect it when it comes to portrays of African Americans. And so he intentionally wanted this to be a palatable story um, so using a lot of humor um, and 
like just the form of it. So I those things really made sense in terms of like what this book is. Um, I think that this story would be really good as a syndicated comic strip. It has the kind of cadence of that because you have like incident mm-hmm. kind of punctuated by like a little thing that wraps it up. And then you have another incident that kind of uses the same characters, but it's not the same scenario. I also feel like it would make a really good show like Love, Victor. Don't you think this could be a good TV show? Yeah. And be fleshed out more? Yeah, and maybe you're right that like reading the other books would make more of like this constellation of characters feel more open. Because a lot of times, like when I'm starting TV shows, I sometimes feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, this this show is just regurgitating familiar um, archetypes, um, and I have trouble connecting these characters. And the longer you spend with the characters, the more the writers put nuance and and like interesting dramatic stuff in. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. As I was like, I I just. I love I love that show. Love Victor. It's a great show. But I think this this book could be a very similar show and do really well and have a lot more of that like fleshed out pieces where you get to I don't know. I also wanted to be more frustrated with the people that were like um, using the microaggressions, but it's just little clips that you get of them that you don't ever like get to get into their heads and their brains. You know what I mean? I think Andy. We do get into we Andy a lot. He's a, he's a thoroughly But even him, guy. you don't really know what his deal is, you know? That's true. Like, so it's it's not it's not that I don't I don't know. I don't I don't wanna sound like I'm saying this book just didn't mean anything to me. Because that's not because it's it's really good and it's really important, but I just I feel like in a different format or more formats of it, like I think this could be a really good introduction to um these kids' stories that I think would make a better TV show than a book, but... Maybe. If you're listening, Mr. Craft, you heard it here first. Contact Hulu. Yeah, really, Get that though, Love Victor money. I think, I think now's the time, you know? It would be, it would be well-received. Speaking of reception and now is the time, can we talk about the, the absolutely ridiculous controversy that this book has uh, garnered? I didn't know... What is it? This book um, got caught up in all of the critical race theory uh, baloney, uh, like, fear-mongering. So, like, this book, for the reasons that we've talked about, you know, has been um, put into curriculums. And I think that that's a great place for this book because, like we talked about, it is from the point of view of students, like, very focused on school and also very focused on, like, Issues that I can imagine a classroom being very productive to talk about. and But, but um, in, let's see, what year? Um, in 2020, um, a Pennsylvania school district banned this from their curriculum. The and in 2021, um, it, that was overturned, but then it was banned in like a couple other uh, districts as well. Like in Texas, there was one, shout out to Katy, Texas. Um, and I just have to say, like, I know we're like, you know, whatever, the woke commies or whatever here in our house, but, uh, (laughs) as also an educator who has to navigate a fairly conservative environment, like, there is nothing about this book that should be 
challenged in terms of critical race theory. I, Absolutely. The, the, the author said he didn't even know what critical race theory was at the nobody, time of writing it. Nobody that is spouting this stuff knows what critical race right. theory and is. Right, I, I and just, I just want to point out that, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, like, fears of what's being done in schools. And what I will say is that what's frustrating about this to me are two things. One is that when critical race theory is thrown around as an epithet and people don't know what it means, um, it makes conversations about race meaningless uh, because there's no distinction between conversations about race. Yes. Talking about microaggressions in a school is fundamentally different from like what uh, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry is doing, which Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry is much closer to what critical race theory is than what this book is doing, for the record. Like, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry is very interested in systemic like uh, like the ways in which white supremacy gets baked into our social fabric, which is kind of what critical race theory which is dealing is with. It's also very important for us to be teaching in our classrooms. We just make that clear. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm letting our however, listeners know. <laughs> however, this book, it's not that it's not interested in systems, but it's, it's not the focus of it, right? The focus is on an individual person's experience, which is like fundamentally not what critical race theory is about. Critical race theory is about saying that racism affects people not just on an individual level, but on a systemic level. And this is grounding it in so much personal stuff that, like, it just seems ludicrous to say that it is. And also, like, it's a very kind book. Like, even the teachers who are kind of, like, even Karen. Like, it is very um, understanding and nuanced about Karen. And so the second thing that irritates me about this critical race theory um, discussion is that we can't even get to the books that are actually challenging mm-hmm. of like, you know, our social systems because they end up like just doing this scattershot attack on books that have differing levels of what they're attempting in terms of social critique. And this is not a book that is like rigorously trying to tear down the system. This is simply a book about like, here are things that I experienced. Like these are my personal me, experiences. But my two kids. This and and their friends, right? And so, like, anyway, all and if this... you listen to any black voices at all, they will tell you the same stories, right? And because it happens over and over and over and over again. If we can't talk about it, if we can't read about it, nothing's ever going to change. Yeah, and I I just think that like the the fact that this book became I don't know if lightning rod is a that's too strong of a term, you know? This isn't, like, a stamp from the beginning of the 1619 Project or whatever. Like, I don't think, like, you know, whoever talking heads on conservative news are talking about this book specifically. But the fact that this became uh, controversial enough that multiple school districts tried to ban it from their curriculum, I think just shows the, like, intellectual and, like, just psychological poverty of these discussions surrounding what we can and can't talk about with race because this is a book that is explicitly saying, here are my experiences, here's how things could be better mm-hmm. within existing social systems. Like, this is not a revolutionary book or anything like that. It is simply, a, like, semi-autobiographical. And if we can't even allow people to say, here's what I experienced, how are we going to at all talk about, in the abstract, these kind of social uh, systemic forces? Like, we can't. And I... I don't know. It, it makes it sound like no one wants to talk. Like it makes it sound like the people who are 
making these bands don't want to talk about race at all unless it is flattering toward white people. I think and you're onto something. Maybe I am onto something. But like <laughs> even giving people the benefit of the doubt saying they got caught up in some sort of like, you know, witch hunt about critical race theory, we have to be clear eyed in saying that like there's a like what critical race theory is doing and then what it means to just say, hey, I experienced these things, mm-hmm. that is a different thing. Mm-hmm. And when you are lumping the two together, you're silencing people. Yep. And it's just so dumb. And I, I get con- I get mad about this stuff because this is the stuff I have to deal with as an educator myself. And the idea that like there are people with lived experiences that we shouldn't be allowed, that it should be illegal to say uh, in a school. Like where else are you supposed to, if you're not from the kind of experiences that this book depicts, when else are you supposed to learn about these things Except in school, like school is supposed to teach you things that you wouldn't otherwise learn, um, and it just undermines the very function of what education is supposed to be. Not to mention, perpetuates these things because then no one talks about them and no one knows about them. Well, and it also or no one being leads, white people. It leads to black kids and other minorities feeling more and more isolated because they're not reading books about kids that look like them. Or they're implicitly told that we that, don't want to hear your perspective, which is kind yeah. of what Jordan is taught, yeah. is told by his teacher in this book, right? His teacher finds this sketchbook, which, as we mentioned, is full of like these kind of caricatures and like uh, kind of unfiltered thoughts about the things that he's experienced. And the teacher's like, why are you so angry at the school? Like, why do you have such a chip on your shoulder? Like, you need to learn how to be... I thought we'd po- been really kind to you. Yeah, we... We, you have to learn how to be more polite about this sort of stuff or whatever. I can't remember the exact words, but like... That's Karen, by the way, everyone. Yeah. And so like to tell that to someone saying like, I don't want to hear your perspective about things is to say, you know, shut up and be grateful for what you're given and don't even worry about how things could be better. And I think that when we make books like this, like books that are only in the slightest way critical of like the social systems at play in our, in our world. Like when we have books like this that are mostly autobiographical being challenged and banned, that's what we're saying to people too. Like we're saying, why are you criticizing these things? You should be grateful that you even got into private school. You shouldn't have to worry about like, you know, racial aggressions at at a private school, you know, because you were lucky because you got in like, and that, that's a terrible, I like viewpoint to have, I think, especially when someone spends the time, to, and, and and the the craft like this is a this is a lovingly crafted book mm-hmm. you know whatever reservations I had with some of the elements of the story like to look at this and just say if anything we wanted more of the stuff that made people mad I think yeah I was waiting for you know Antifa to be invited into the Shut school up. and they overthrow <laughs> the U.S. government oh god um at any rate I'm gonna stop my rant now. This is this a nice is a book. This, book. This is a nice book. If you have kids who are like nine, ten, they should read Give this. Them in. They should read this book. It's a read good, it together. Yeah. Even I think it will lead to good conversations. Yeah. But I definitely give this book a thumbs up, and I want to read Class Act. I give it a. I I give it kind of a. I appreciate what it's doing more than I actually loved reading the book. I'm gonna give it kind of a, kind of a thumbs up. It, like I'm caught between admiring its goals but also not being extremely engaged with like the dramatics of it like I mentioned earlier so I'll I'll, I'll round that up to a thumbs up um I just want to say this 
while we're, like as we were talking about Mildred Taylor a little bit and Roll of Thunder, Hammer Cry, I have been listening to all the other books in that series. Because um, you guys... The Libby app. New Year, New Me. I finally, I know this is late to the game. Everyone, everyone that I talk to already knows about this app, but it's been using it forever. But I downloaded the Libby app and I'm accessing all of these free audiobooks. I want to say Rebecca has joined the dark side by listening to the books on 1.5 speed, which she has long been a hater of me watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts at two times speed. It's different. It is different. But yeah, I have you, as much as I criticize you, it has rubbed off on me. But audiobooks are slow. They're slow. So if you could just speed them up a little bit, you can, you know, still enjoy the story, but also get it fast. So anyway, there, um, I will say Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry is, I think, the strongest book in the series. But I, I have enjoyed hearing more about the Logan family, and I encourage you to read them. So... Yeah, so it's a good callback, good yeah. continuity between yeah between things. Anyway, anyway, we're just going all over the place. It's been a long time, guys. <laughs> you have any more thoughts on New Kid before we move on? No, I I do really want it to be a TV show. So any if anybody important is listening to this, yeah, all of our uh, <laughs> Time Warner executives who are listening right now, I think it um, would be great. I think it'd be really great, and I do think now is the time of television. Where people would not like, I don't know, I just feel like people would watch it. Probably. Anyway. We would watch it. Thanks for listening. Next time we're going to... Back to the 1920s, because guess what? The 2030s have not existed yet. Uh, I don't know if this podcast will last long enough to, for us to hit the 2030s, but uh, that means we're wrapping back around. Time is a circle, a flat circle. And they have not yet announced the new winner. So for 2023. Yeah, I've been checking. Yeah, we're back in the 1920s then, folks, and uh, we picked mostly because of the title of the book has <laughs> perplexed us for so long as we looked at this. We picked the 1928 Newbery Medal winner, uh, which is called Gay Neck, the Story of a Pigeon. Yep. And having read the first 50 pages, that's a fairly accurate title, I think, so far. Um, I have not started it yet, I'll be honest. That's all right. We'll see. We'll see yeah. if we get... Uh, the next podcast episode out on time. But if you want to read along with us, dear listeners, Gay Neck, The Story of a Pigeon, um, it's out there. It was at our library, multiple copies at our library, mm-hmm. which is surprising to me for a <laughs> uh, not very, at least as I understand it, a not very commonly read book from almost 100 years ago. That's why there's multiple copies, because we're the only ones checking it out. Yeah. Good for yeah. the library for not weeding them out yet. Yeah. Um, right. Hang in there, Gay Neck. We should get off of here. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget you can email us at newberrychronicles at gmail.com. Um, and you can tell us all the ways in which we were wrong. <laughs> or right. Either way, we'll read it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>